0: Well, I'm going to start off by saying aside from answering the same questions over and over and over again and dealing with tech problems. Good day for you so far Ryan?
1: Yes, not n- no real tech problems. I'm I- I'm good. Um uh but yes, good day.
0: Good day. Yeah. Big 2024 for you where you had to keep quiet about a hopeful sign coming out, the third eye blind shed tour, etc. When did you know that yellow card was totally back as opposed to yeah we'll do an anniversary and see how it goes
1: um well well, when we got the offer for um our tour last summer um i think i think we immediately felt like it was going to be more than that tour Mm -hmm. but that's not to say that we knew what that meant you know so uh, we're very much in the in the mindset these days of being excited for what may come but also being fully prepared to hang it up again if it slows down because when we decided to hang it up it was for real and it felt extremely permanent and the reasons were uh very valid I mean we were we were legitimately struggling to fill the venues that we were used to playing and uh you know we were like we were putting out music that we were really passionate about that but wasn't really connecting with the fan base at large we just had had there was a lot of internal struggle within the band relationship wise it was all the reasons why you say all right i think we've reached the end of the road um so nowadays we just keep getting these phone calls and offers and you know um and every one of them is just like more mind-blowing than the last you know when you get a phone call um saying that you've you've been asked to be direct support for one of your all-time favorite and most influential rock and roll bands that's to be honest that kind of stuff didn't happen for yellow card even when we were you know huge in in the early 2000s um we i don't think we were um ever really seen by and by anyone other than you know our most devoted and most core fan base as anything other than ocean Avenue. And that's fine. Ocean Avenue is the reason we're here. It's the reason I still have a job, but (laughs) I think, I think we, we, you know, we didn't really get any opportunities that we didn't sort of, you know, make for ourselves or that weren't connected to uh, things like warp tour, which we've always been so grateful to Kevin Lyman and the warp tour for what he did for our career. And um, you know, the opportunities that that provided us, but, But getting getting offers to tour with, um, you know, huge influential bands, um, you know, to play Good Morning America, this kind of stuff wasn't happening back then.
0: Um, Yeah, if I can rudely interrupt you here, it's interesting to see how many bands have gone to the cycle of being huge uh, theater level kind of bands. The next mm-hmm. album doesn't go as planned whether it's A and R or Changing Tides or Internal Strife you go away suddenly 5 to 10 years later you come back and you're bigger than you ever were and you don't know why but that leads to the annual shed tour.
1: Yeah, we are we are certainly bigger than we ever were. That that is that's without a without a doubt and it is so hard to get your head around that because again it was so um for lack of a better word it was just so dark at the end it was it felt it felt yep. so necessary to step away from the band and not like let's take a breather i mean it was like dude this is we are we're beating a dead horse here let's just let's call it you know um so to come back like this and have it be um you know the venues and the and ticket sales and everything else bigger than they were in 2004 when we had like a top 10 radio hit at at pop at top 40 radio. Um, how do you explain that? You know, I just don't, I don't, I mean, everyone will give you hundreds of reasons. That's fans have more money to spend now. They have kids they're bringing to the shows. All this, that's not, that does not equate to three, four, sometimes five times the amount of people that we would play for in a market. We're coming out to see us this summer. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the San Diego house of blues caps like 1300 or something. Like that, maybe sixteen hundred. We sold eight thousand tickets in San Diego at Petco. That's just not. That's not just people's kids coming with them to the shows, you know. So it's there are people that are are showing up to see us for the first time. Um, I think more people are seeing us for the first time than not at these shows that we just played. That is super inspiring and super cool to see. Uh, because I feel like that means we are at the beginning of something you know this isn't just um, just a resurgence just a revival just a reunion as you put it like we thought that's probably what it was going to be but then we got on the tour and realized how many people were coming out to see us for the first time and uh, and the fact that we played the shows and it wasn't just people sitting around waiting to hear Ocean Avenue because that could it could have gone that way too you know when you have Six thousand people more you know in san diego than you normally play for you'd assume they're coming and like i know this band because of that song and they're but not at all the whole show um every night was so connected with with the audience and um it just it felt really special and it felt again like we're like we're sort of standing uh at at the starting line of of a new a new chapter and I yeah. think this is going to go a lot farther than just the 20th anniversary of Ocean Avenue.
0: Where I see this going, uh, if I can project, <clears throat> is growing up on Long Island, where there's Jones Beach, where you're playing this summer, we kind of gonna get used to seeing the a and b column when they pair the bands together so they go okay who are the doobie brothers touring with it's going to be doobie brothers and ario Speedwagon, and it's going to be kansas and sticks i think in a couple of years it'll be like okay who's yellow card touring with it's going to be yellow card the all-american rejects and mm-hmm. and uh, all-time low and then mm-hmm. those are going to be the tours that are populating that calendar so that's yeah. a good thing but related to all that when did you learn how to play for amphitheater kind of like crowds because of course you're on a okay you can only do this many minutes and these are your lighting cues and all that kind of stuff it's more mm-hmm. of a scripted show and that's a different skill set for a front man
1: for sure well, we've always uh, for a long time we have um we have an incredible lighting technician uh, his name is cody james and he came out and started working for us very early in his career in 2012 and we basically hired him just we couldn't afford to carry any lights but um that that year was a pretty good year for the band that that was that was the last really good year before we started heading sort of backsliding down to the eventual breakup of the band but the fall tour in 2012 supporting southern air was a really good lineup and and pr- did really well uh ticket sales wise so, so we brought cody in just to run the house lighting rig we, we we just so that we were not you know in the dark when we shouldn't be and you know, had some some lighting cues on parts where the crowds would sing and things. And he's worked for us ever since. So uh, went through the final tour with us and then has come back and worked for us now. So after that, um, I feel like to your point about cues and things, <clears throat> though, the size of the venue is smaller. Um, I, I've always felt like putting on a a, a bit of a, a scripted, you know, cued show, um, is, is a cool thing. And so even in the smaller rooms, we were doing that for a long time is mm-hmm. is my point. So, um, so getting used to where, where those cues need to hit and things um, that wasn't so much of a learning curve. The learning curve was more uh, the seats, you know, you've got thousands of people sitting in seats um, when we never play venues like that. And again, back early in our career, um, we, we never really did a tour where we were, you know, direct support or co-headlining with another band that was in amphitheaters. We played a few here and there, um, but nothing like what we did this summer, where I would say probably 80% of the rooms were were uh, seated amphitheaters. You know, um, mm-hmm. maybe more than that. So we've we've never done that before. That was really the the hard part for me. But you know, I found pretty quickly that um, I enjoyed it. I I feel like uh, as we're getting older. Um, you know I, it's it's not just about I, it's not saying okay I'm too old to run around and jump off the drum riser and do all this crazy stuff because like you know my knees are going to give out because that's not the case at all I'm, yeah. I'm super he- I'm a healthy guy I could I could do all that stuff I think it's more of just a, gen- a natural feeling of maturity where like that's just not really who I am anymore you know as a, as a as a person as a performer and having those seats is actually very conducive to just focusing on your performance and singing and playing well because the lights are doing so much work you know all the cues we just talked about are doing so much work to get the crowd excited and keep them engaged in the show so i really enjoyed honestly uh the chance to be a little more stationary and uh take care of my voice and and you know be more supported cuz i'm not out of breath cuz i've been you know running back and forth across the stage or, or again you know house of blues just um sweaty house of blues shows you know so um, that was something that took me a few shows to get in the groove of. Cause I think I felt unnatural. Like I need to, I need to be on that side of the stage and that side of the stage. And then, you know, I, I gotta be all over the place. And as I settled into not doing that as much, I feel like without a doubt for me personally, it's the most comfortable I've ever felt as a vocalist oh. on a tour. Um, I feel like 99% of the, the footage I watch and hear back for the first time in my career, I'm like, Oh, well, right on, man. You sound good. Uh, you know, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm my own worst critic as, as we all are, I think in this, you know, in this, uh, job, but I just felt, yeah, I felt really good singing and, um, <clears throat> and, and performing. And I think the seats actually helped that, if that makes sense, because I think as a rock band who's been playing sweaty house of blues shows for your whole career, you get, you can, you can get intimidated by the seats because you think, well, we're not going to have these big, crazy, you know, energetic, um, pits full of people slamming into each other and running around how's this gonna go um but you know one of the one of the best shows i think um as far as it it really uh, um exceeded our expectations or like proved us wrong the venue in atlanta that we played um is basically in a neighborhood if there are there are houses you, if you look at the top of the, the venue in the back there are people's backyards along it so there's is the a very
0: yes uh, yeah yeah
1: yeah, there's a very um, low decibel level you know you have to keep the the show has to be pretty quiet compared to most rock shows and then there are seats that are bolted in all the way to the stage you can't a lot of venues if they have them you can take them out uh, which we would always opt for at least in that pit area in front of the stage sure. but they were they're bolted in and so we were pretty like oh my god this is gonna be it's gonna be quiet people sitting all the way to the front like how what are we gonna do to like keep the energy up at this show it was so fun dude everyone you know just just uh everyone there was just so connected with the band and the music and i that was such a a running theme for the whole summer was i think just how connected we felt to to the crowd every night um there were some really standout shows but i, I there weren't any that that weren't memorable you know and um i don't know that we've ever had a tour like that either but cool. the the just the, the energy around the band right now is just so good i made it through the whole tour without getting sick i've never done that in my entire career and my illness is related on tour my sinus infections that i've been riddled with my entire career are equal parts immune system and stress and anxiety you know that's what brings those on and this tour was stress-free anxiety-free the, the energy between um you know, the four of us in the band net has never been better. Um, Great. Just, it, it's just such a cool time to be in Yellow Card. I wish it had always been this way, uh, but better late than never.
0: Better late than never. And the last question before I let you go here, you uh, have sold yourself a little bit short where you never stopped making music that people were hearing, whether you were a producer, songwriter, sideman, etc., cetera, collaborator. Are we going to hear anything from you outside of yellow card or solo album in the near future, or is it all yellow card all the time forever and ever? Amen.
1: (laughs) Um, It's a lot of yellow card right now. Um, And, and I'm I'm focused on that. We, you know, I'm not sure what our plan is yet for new music, but I, I mean, at this point it's safe to assume that it's in the pipeline. It's not like I can hide it from everyone, you know? Um, so, uh, that's going to be something that obviously I have to focus a ton of energy on, but, um, Ryan Mendez, the lead guitar player uh, of Yellowcard, and myself, we have a, an electronic kind of an ambient electronica uh, side project we called Jedda. You spell it J E D H A. We mm-hmm. put out a full-length record last year. Um, we scored a movie in 2020, and it's something that when we have time, we're, we're pretty passionate about working on. So, um, I'm uh, we may have a couple of other really really cool scoring opportunities in the pipeline this year. Uh, so we'd we'll be working on that and. And, uh we're, we're both hopeful that at some point we can make some new jeddah music too so um as far as me putting out something on my own I, I think as a vocalist you know now that i'm sort of back back doing yellow card that's that's where i'm gonna put my focus um, and and not really be trying to push um songwriting on on my end but with jeddah it's just so different it lives in such a different universe um i mean my my solo material also lives in a pretty different universe from yellow card as well but Jetta being instrumental and electronic, and it's just you know it's it's something it's really kind of a um, a a long a long term project for Ryan and I. We you know we hope that when we're old and gray and and can't be literally can't be jumping off of drum risers anymore, uh, that we'll be scoring films and TV and making these records and stuff together. So that's um, you know it's something we we dream about. Uh, And if we can get another Jetta album together, it's funny we don't do anything with the project. You know, promotion wise or anything, we just don't have time and we don't have any new music to push. Uh, but we've been hovering like anywhere around six or seven thousand monthly listeners on Spotify, and that's a tiny right. number in the grand scheme of things. When you think about, you know, Yellow Card has four four and a half million or something. Uh, but for us, it's to think that there's like multiple thousands of people that still go and listen to the record we put out last year. It's uh, it, it's pretty cool. So we're uh, we're gonna move forward with, with Jetta when we can. Um, but but to your point, Yellow Card is. Uh, very much in the forefront as far as, uh, you know, create it, working on something creatively right now.
0: Well, congrats on a hopeful sign looking for the Jones beach show on the third eye blind tour. Glad Jetta's going, there's movie scoring, etc. cetera. Yeah. Congrats. Glad to see you're back in top form and looking forward to what's to come, Ryan.
1: All right, man. Thank you so much for having me, dude.
0: Outrocast. How's your day going aside from doing interview after interview and answering the same questions and all that stuff?
2: That's exactly what I've been doing. How did you know? <laughs> I mean,
0: they call it a press day for a reason. And some people love it because it's cheaper than therapy. And then other people go, oh, stop talking about myself, please. Uh, which one are you?
2: It it depends on the day. I, I, I have to say, I like to listen more than talk at this point in my life. Yeah. Like my own story gets gets old after a while, I have to say.
0: That sounds like your background as a boxer, where you're open to being taught. You're very teachable.
2: I am. Every day, I'm like, I I try to be, you know, the willingness to be teachable, you know? I try, because I'm very stubborn by nature.
0: (laughs) Cold meat is what we were first connected to talk about. When did you actually wrap or finish filming on cold meat?
2: It's it's like over a year ago, like a year and a half ago, and you know they had a premiere in England. And they had, we were at the fright fest, and you know we couldn't go. I mean, Alan was there in England, my co-star, and we couldn't go because of the actor strike. So we couldn't promote it. We couldn't watch the movie. We couldn't do the interviews. Um, slightly depressing.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, I, yeah, I can imagine. A yeah. year and a half is not that long in terms of waiting for the movie to come out but how do you how do you deal with that that kind of patience of knowing you did great work and you can't talk about it
2: um it's one of those things where you know you never know like I had a feeling that we I hope we did good work but we don't know what it's going to be until we actually see the movie you know because sometimes you do one thing and then you see the movie and it's something different. So I'm always hesitant to be too excited. Hmm. Um, I mean, I had very high hopes because of the director and his experience and my co-star and, but I was positively surprised. I have to say, I was like, wow. I mean, I knew it was going to be good, but I didn't think he, I thought the director did amazing. So.
0: Was it a particularly challenging role for you?
2: Very. One of the hardest ones so far. Yeah, 100%. Um, not uh, you know mentally maybe not physically so much I do a lot of physical roles and this one was mentally very very tough
0: yeah well how much of Anna is there in you the human being
2: uh I squashed the part of Anna in me the earlier part of Anna in me a long time ago you know I was like her I was a victim of my circumstances I was in not good relationships I was uh, you know, barely making ends meet. For, and uh, I worked so hard to get out of it. So um, it was hard to go back there. But Anna has a superpower that I don't have. And that's her daughter. You know, so sometimes I think it's easier for humans to do things for their daughter or for somebody else. You know, in my case, it was my siblings, you know, I had to be there for my siblings, my younger siblings. But I think having a daughter gives you like that extra superpower that, you know, I didn't have to, I, I didn't have anything to fight for other than myself.
0: Hmm. Um, when you were talking about being in, in rough relationships, I thought you were referring to Warner Brothers records for a while.
2: Oh, that, that one was, was for my soul, uh, you know, crushed me. Yeah. Uh, and, um and also I think because I was, I had that stubborn thing, which is a good thing and a bad thing because you know, female rock wasn't dead. I was going to reinvent the wheel. I got a six album deal with like, I had the best manager. I had, you know, Rob Cavallo, you know, signing me to do my record. I was, you know, I, I had all these dreams and hopes as you do, you know, and then they just got squashed.
0: Completely squatting. it's unfortunately, one of the most common stories ever that it's usually the longer the record deal that you sign, the more likely you're going to be dropped before the first album comes out or after the first album comes out.
2: I didn't get dropped. I had to fight to get out. They just didn't want to release my album. So I wrote one hundred and sixty songs. You know, they fired my band, and then they had me write with all these people. I wrote one hundred and sixty songs, and they just didn't know what to do with me because it wasn't authentic anymore at that point. And then, um, you know, they didn't want to let me go either. So it was, it was a long, excruciating battle that, you know, almost, you know, broke me there.
0: I, yeah. I can only imagine because that's another situation where you're creative and you're pouring your heart out, but you're waiting for somebody else to release it, somebody else to distribute it. And then if you speak out publicly about your record company being bad, that blackballs you further. So it's really, yeah, No, I was uh,
2: you know, I sold my condo, I sold everything I got out of my record deal. And then what I did, was I got everything back. And then I went and I started uh, with another band called Letters from the Fire, became their lead singer. And I said, these are the songs we're doing. So I at least got to do some of the songs that were supposed to be on the record.
0: Mm-hmm. So I got
2: a little bit of redemption. Right. Yeah. Yes.
0: So do you still have the musical bug? Because I know that you've been able to sing on some soundtracks. Yes. Uh, Are you a singer who acts? Are you an actress who sings? Because I know there's also production work. You're very hard to define. I can't just go, well, Nina is blank at this point in time.
2: I think I'm just an artist. You know, I I have a hard time singing other people's songs because that's the one place where I have the freedom to do what I want to do. So I don't like uh, to be, you know, in music, it's where I'm free because as an actor, you hit the mark, you have a lot of, not so much in indie movies, but more, you know, TV and stuff. So that's the one place where I don't like to be told what to do. But I think I'm both. I'm just an artist who like to express myself, where in singing, it's a little bit in a box because I sing a certain kind of music. And whenever I try to go outside the box, the fan the bandmates the whoever does not like it whereas an actor i get to you know explore all these different parts of myself but i'm 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 still doing music i just can't tour i can't do both because it's like having two lovers
0: <laughs> you know,
2: it's like one have this and the other have that but you can't have both you know they just don't get along together there's just not enough time well in the when day. did
0: the love for acting start versus the love for music
2: um, I was acting since I was a super young girl. My dad was a professor at the Danish film school
0: and, and my your grand- grandfather was a legend. I, I'm a legend.
2: Of yeah. So, and yeah. my grandmother was a Russian gypsy singer. So a tour with her, I would always act and sing. And, uh, I think to be completely honest, when I was a little younger, it was a little intimidating having your grandfather like that and having to fill his shoes. And then I remember uh, I went to school, you know, I went to NYU to really learn the craft because I did understand that it's a craft Mm -hmm. and and, uh, you know, whether you learn it on your own or you go to school, it is a craft acting is a craft, like becoming anything else. So I did learn the craft and I did do a lot of theater and I got to, you know, play, you know, in the cherry orchard and plays that my grandfather did. And, you know, and then I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm actually pretty decent or, Or at least I work harder than anyone else, so I can become pretty good at it. (laughs) You know, that's always been my thing. I I was never super naturally gifted. I just worked harder than anyone else. That was always my thing. And then um, I just, uh, you know, I would get into acting and then I would get these roles I didn't like. And then I would be so frustrated. And then I would go and sing and then I would be on the road and then. I would have FOMO, then I'll come back, then I'll get back auditioning, but I didn't get the parts that, you know, it was like this, like, you know, when I was on the road, I wanted to act when I was acting, I wanted to be on the road. And yeah, you know, it was it was that, it was that. And then now for the first time, I'm, I'm playing parts that I want to play. It just, it took a while, you know, in the beginning, I just took anything that paid. I was like, yay, I'm a working actor, they pay me.
0: Well, it comes back to what you said a little while ago when I said that I couldn't come up with a job title for you. You're an artist. You're a creator. So you're finally at the period of your life where you're just creating the things that you want to create.
2: Yes. And I learned to say no, you know, um, to, you know, because I was on a hamster wheel. I was working all the time and I was shooting and I was doing like, I remember one year, like 24 commercials in a year. I've done over 500 campaigns and I was just, I was doing all these reality, I did reality TV shows, I did hosting, I did, I would just say yes to everything, but it took me away from what I really wanted to do. Which
0: was create your own art, or what was that thing that you really wanted to do?
2: To do parts, you know, like Cold Meat, where uh, I feel utilized, that part scared me, because she's so far away from me, to work with people like Ellen Leach, you know, who's I think a brilliant actor and, and to, to do challenging parts, you know, the one I did, you know, I did like before was hell hath no fury, which was like that, like I've done a lot of really great challenging parts and I have a few coming up. So, you know, um, that, um, you know, then it's fun to act. It's not fun to act like hit your mark, say that line. And I don't know what to do with the character. And I don't know how to prepare. Cause I'm just kind of, filling out a piece of the story and I don't really matter and they don't really want you to be creative. They just want you to hit the mark and say your lines. So that didn't really work for me. So now I have all these um, great, I'm slowly building, you know, a uh, uh, portfolio of parts that I want to do, like cool, badass women, like like women I can sink my teeth into that has a little twist.
0: Sure. So are we allowed to know what film is next, or is it all cold meat forever and ever? Because looking (laughs) at your IMDB, there's a couple um, of upcoming things.
2: There's uh, the one that just got announced with Aaron Eckhart that Jesse B. Johnson directed that I'm in. I play a smaller part, but it's a great part. She's a very different character. And then I have one on motorcycles that's next that I'm very excited about, Um, yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. So the best, yeah, way-,
2: and then, yeah.
0: the best one, way to know, sorry to interrupt no. you, uh, the best way to find out about what's next is that Instagram or do you have a preferred Instagram?
2: And today I'm upside, I'm updating my website. I've been bad. I have been a very bad girl. Uh, <laughs> I- it happens. Yeah. It's uh, cause I normally have people, you know, um, uh, I lost my assistant and yeah so um I'm a little I'm a little behind and I've been traveling and I've been working a lot and um so yeah uh Instagram is always the best I'm most active on on Instagram Outro.